Hello, and welcome to How Have You Not Seen That? My name is Wilson. I'm Charles. And I'm Crossman. This is a podcast about movies, uh, wherein we discuss our, our the gaps in our movie knowledge. There have come occasions for everybody where you have lied or been untruthful about what movies you've read to come across as cooler or more with it or more hip or smarter. And we are confessing to those failings in this movie. Each week, we take turns selecting a movie in the canon or outside of the canon that we have not seen and perhaps lied about in the past, and we watch it and discuss it. This week, we watched the 2007 movie, yeah. Sunshine, directed by Danny Boyle. This was Charles' pick, so Charles, tell us about uh, Sunshine. Okay, so in Sunshine, uh, the sun has started to die out, and so we need to go and kickstart it again so that we get all its warmth and energy. We sent a mission called Icarus. It's a big spaceship, and they wanted to blow up a bomb in the sun to start it up again. Um, but the first one failed, and so they sent a second one, and we follow the course of the second mission. And on the way, they find a signal from the first failed mission and decide that to be safe and have two chances at throwing bombs in the sun, they want to go and pick it up. But as soon as they divert course, stuff starts going wrong, and people make mistakes and things start to break and fall apart and they have to deal with these challenges and people start dying and they have to deal with not having any oxygen. And once they reach the first Icarus mission, they find out that the commander had gone crazy and everyone basically killed themselves, exposing themselves to the sun. And then another big catastrophe happens and it turns out that the commander from the first mission had somehow survived in the seven years between the first and second mission and became a space zombie and had moved over and stowed away on their ship. And they have to fight him, fight him off, and then successfully detonate the bomb in the sun. And then it ends with the sun lighting up again and hopefully Earth will be okay. Yeah, that's, a, that's pretty comprehensive. Have you seen this movie before, Crossman? I have. Yeah? Okay. I had not, actually. This was, a, oh, this really? was the first time you were Yeah, I, I missed it. It just didn't, didn't land for me. So yeah. this was the uh, fresh experience. <laughs> yeah, it's a Danny Boyle film. It sure is. <laughs> it, it, yes. it very much is. <laughs> it definitely is. What did you think of this one, Charles? How did it land? I very much enjoyed the first two-thirds of the movie, which I think is the general consensus that I've seen yeah, in yes. all the discussions. <laughs> yes. um, it was just really cool to see things like chain reaction from very small mistakes that people made diverting from the program and all that right and it was cool to see them like dealing with the catastrophe mm -hmm. and the intrigue of who was factioning up against who and how they're going to deal with like having to get rid of people to have enough oxygen to survive and make it through to the mission and you know the sacrifices they're making for humanity and all that kind of stuff right so it just felt like such a cop-out to have the, <laughs> the zombie commander dude show up to do stuff. Fucking nowhere. Yeah, it was better when <laughs> yeah. the villain was just the sun and its heat. And like the, the environment and yeah, the circumstances, man versus environment rather than yeah. man versus space sun monster. Yeah, and they yeah. easily could have kept the movie along that path and, you know, had some other disaster happen because of their conditions and they went for this weird cop-out. Really strange choice. Yeah, I didn't yeah. understand it. I found this to be a frustrating movie for that reason. Because like yeah. I was pretty much with it like up until... 
that moment. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so like, it was funny because like in all, I, I picked this movie because I feel like it's discussed a lot in like online movie discussions. It keeps coming up and I always hear, you know, oh, that movie's so good except for the last part. And I never found out what the last part involved. Yeah. So I had no idea what I was, you know, in for. And then the, the zombie showed up and I was just like, what the hell is going on here? I totally checked out. It really kind of turned me against the movie yeah. pretty starkly at that point. Like, I had to remind myself after, like, the next day or whatever that it's like, actually, yeah, there was a bunch of good stuff at the beginning. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Let me spoiled by this. This bullshit. Um, how do you feel about this one, Grassman? I, I I feel generally the same as everybody's reaction to it. Yeah. I, I think it's a beautifully shot movie. It's very enticing. I, I think the turn, I think the turn just like comes too late and in a way that doesn't seem to reflect well in like the rest of the movie. Yeah. Like, like there are good versions of the the third third of this movie. Yeah, like Dust Till Dawn, like the, that kind of movie. And Event Horizon comes to mind, too. Okay. It's another yeah. like a space horror yeah. movie that like works mm-hmm. really well in, in that vein. I still need to see that one. Well, yeah, so just imagine like the last third of this movie, but like an entire okay. film. <laughs> the whole thing. But it, but it works well, because you're like, you're set up for that. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's no like, it doesn't like go, you know, out of left field like this movie Sure, does. it's more yeah. consistent with the rest of the movie, I guess. Yeah, it just, this feels like it just, they didn't know how to end it. Or they, they thought that this like turn would work better. Yeah, and, it seems like yeah. one of those like subverting for subverting sake sort of twists. Well, and this is also, I think, Alex Garland learning. Because this was another Alex Garland, Danny Boyle, uh, Cillian Murphy collaboration yeah and Alice Garland would go on to make as we know Ex Machina and Annihilation which are also both movies that have turns at the end that kind of a little bit come out of nowhere but there they like feel cohesive and make sense so I think that he is a writer and eventually a direct, later a director that like is attracted to that idea right mm-hmm. like he wants to kind of jerk the audience around a little bit and yeah. give us something like out of left field yeah um, to, to close out his movies and he just like, like took him a couple cracks to like get it right, and he eventually does because like it definitely works in Ex Machina, and it definitely works in Annihilation. It does yep. work here, yep. but I, I kind of appreciate that instinct. Like I, I like that that is what he is attempting, like where his writing style takes him, um, and it, it, it eventually does serve him well um, in, in his later work. Certainly true. Just needs some practice. Just needs some practice. Yeah, just like we all do. Um, this is an ensemble movie. Like, there's a lot of there's a lot of people in this movie. A lot of people that we would later go on to recognize pretty readily. Most obviously, Chris Evans. Yeah. Uh, but then Rose Byrne as well is in here, and mm-hmm. uh, Benedict Wong, um, and Murphy again. Um, so it's a pretty robust cast. Um, how do we feel? How like how it functions as an ensemble piece and like as a you know a group uh, movie. I think like the core characters are well defined. There's there's a few like hangers on that they like do away with. Yeah, they kill off a lot of people. Yeah, in this movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I I particularly like the guy that's sort of like pretty self destructive, where he's like in the sun room. He's super he's, into like, the sun. He's the, keep like pushing the edges to the the psychologist dude. Yeah, the yeah. Com- the computer like doesn't let him like turn the sun up too high. <laughs> yeah, it's just like yeah. And, Look, because that's how it opens, right? Like the the, the there's this. Instinct yeah. towards self-destruction and you know being in awe of the power around you and all that. It's, so it becomes this kind of like religious. That's a great way to start the movie too. It works because yeah. like well, it shows it, the danger. Yeah, exactly. It's a great way of showing you just how 
powerful the sun is and you know they, they spend the whole movie like fighting around that right yeah well, I, I, and i think it, it also calls attention immediately to like how unique the premise is mm -hmm. like most space stuff is like it's very cold and yeah you know space is like dark and you know this is this is the opposite where it's like space is actually like too bright yeah <laughs> it's too, too warm because yeah. a lot of them die being burned to death things like that um and it sets up the visual motif of the movie really well, right? Because it's this bright, like red, orange, and darkness. Like that, those yeah. those are really the, the two dominant tones in this movie. Like you get some blues later at the end, but it's really mostly like this really heavy orange, and then you know, like the dark interior of the ship. Yeah. Um, and that opening scene is exactly that, right? Like it's just those mm -hmm. two tones which really kind of guide the movie, visually speaking, um, right up front, and very large and very vibrant. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I definitely, speaking about the cast, like I thought it was, you know, very well performed. I liked seeing how the different crew members like reacted to each other mm -hmm. and formed little relationships as the movie progressed. Like it was interesting to see. They set up like um, fraction f fractions in the, in the group from the very beginning when they fail to send out the message. Yeah. When Chris Evans' character fails to send out the message and gets into a fight with Cillian Murphy's character. Mm -hmm. And... You know, you think that this is going to be about, like, they start to separate into teams and start fighting each other. And it starts to develop along these lines, especially when you see Michelle Yao speaking with a few of the characters about how, you know, two of them would have to die to have enough oxygen to survive, mm -hmm. even to deploy the payload, right? Um, and so it was interesting to, to see them play off each other like that. And it kind of started to boil over for a little while. Uh, now, it was maybe a little convenient that exactly the right number of people died uh, so that they didn't have to fight each other. Um, but it was interesting to see that develop and it was interesting that they didn't really have to fight. Yeah, it does feel like they're kind of pulling their punches there, right? Because on the, on the oh. one hand, like it's it's kind of a, a brave movie because like the catastrophes that they're confronted with seem like very significant, right? Like yeah. all their plants die at some point, right? Like yeah. you have the captain who gets killed off in the first 30 minutes or whatever it is. Like, so you have like these big major things like they learn that they aren't going to survive they have to they can't turn back yeah right but then like that they kind of pull their punch at that moment right yeah so, it was kind of that's like come on right, like it'd be <laughs> interesting to see them deal with the psychological torment of having to pick people to die right, right? and they 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 did kind of cop out of that yeah which is, which is a shame because that's kind of the conflict that was driving the movie right like it's the the value of some lives versus the value of all lives right and, like, yeah. and you can really place the members of the crew along a spectrum as to like where they lie on that question. You have like the Chris Evans character on one side of it, and the other side is probably like the Rose Byrne character. Mm -hmm. And it, it it felt like a good opportunity to kind of make that philosophical question more visceral. Yeah. And they just kind of ducked it. And I I thought that was kind of a bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, that, that is what, to me, was driving the film uh, going forward. Yeah. Yeah, I think going back to your like casting question, I, th I thought Cillian Murphy was like okay, but he felt kind of like tacked on here. Like, here's my buddy. Yeah, my other movie. It, <laughs> it definitely came across that way. Whereas, like, 28 Days Later, I thought he did like a good job of kind of like owning everything, and he he didn't seem to like. I don't know. Like, I, he seemed to be, he's set up as, like, the main character that we're supposed to be, like, sympathetic to. Yeah, he's really and, just the most neutral character. Yeah, mm -hmm. and that kind of makes him, like, very bland. Yeah, um, 
And he's, he's kind of like drab and emo too, which is like. Well, then this is look, right? Yeah, <laughs> that's just how his face is to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, and I think part of it is like that. So many of the members of this cast, or so many of the characters, are drawn as types. Yeah, right. Like you have the Chris Evans character is like the staunchly pro mission type, like the sacrifice whatever is necessary. You have Rose Byrne is like the very sympathetic humanist type. You have the. Michelle Yao characters, you know, the connected with nature and scientists and like all, all these things. And so if your type is neutral audience surrogate, right, like, there's not a lot to do with that. Yeah. And I think that he, he does kind of suffer from that. And I think it does speak to kind of a wishy-washy messaging at the center of this film where like the guy that we're supposed to, the guy who wins at the end and the guy we're supposed to be on the side, same side of is the one that's like, doesn't really make a decision between what side of this argument is correct. And then he just kind of gets there at the end anyway. Yeah. <laughs> As opposed to like Annihilation where the main character is like very sympathetic and active in the choices that like the group makes and right. what eventually happens. Yeah. Or, or yeah. Ex Machina, right? Where what happens at the end is like it's a very clear message. You're on a, the movie is on a certain side at that point. Yes. And it sends it crystal clearly to you. Yeah. And I think that this one is kind of not doing that. I think yeah. it's it's kind of saying like, yeah, if you care about some people sometimes, that's good. Like, well, okay. <laughs> like, what does that mean? And what does it mean when the world is going to end? <laughs> like, that's not a useful uh, statement. Mm-hmm. I, I think what's challenging about the movie, or what's bad about it, is the introduction of the captain character as this sort of like cult <clears throat> figure that is now hoping for the uh, end of humanity for some reason. That that's <laughs> yeah, that's the problem, right? Yeah. Like, there's no clear. You just said reason. some babble about like challenging God or something. Yeah, yeah, nonsense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it just didn't mean anything. And like, I I I know Which that is... they're like getting at some sort of religious, you know, iconography and whatever else in this movie, right? Like the the first god was the sun, right? Like that's who ancient societies tended to worship before a more modern sensibility about religion was formed. And so I, I get how they arrive there and like how they have that conversation about like this faith versus science thing, whatever is, mm-hmm. is going on. But yeah, it just felt so hacky and out of place. Yeah, Ben... Horizon does this in a much more interesting way because the have you seen Event Horizon? No. Oh, okay. Well, Sorry. <laughs> spoiler. It's been, it's been out Whatever. forever. <laughs> the the um so they have the classic kind of trope where they you know they kind of like cut through space and time with the spaceship that like goes okay. goes through a black hole. Sure. And it, it turns out like in the black hole they like they go through hell. And, oh. And just uh, straight up Warhammer. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. It, there's there's actually speculation that Event Horizon is in the Warhammer universe. Um, but they so they experience hell and become it's not this great. like cult and okay. and so there's like oh this like makes sense why like all this like there's something in universe explaining this yeah or like horrific thing breaks out yeah. where it's like the basically the same thing happens this one character where there's no explanation why. Here yeah. in in sunshine. Yeah, I mean, and, they, they, yeah. based on the way Wilson explained it, there's easily a way you could have pulled this off by having him be like antithetical to like the crew's goal or like the main message of the movie, right? And, like to challenge it, but they just had him spout off some babble instead. Right. What, what I was reminded of on the other side of the spectrum, I think, was the the Martian, right? Where they just like 
don't have an antagonist in that movie. Yeah, right? like yeah, just, exactly. <laughs> it's this just, movie could have been that, and, and that's where I thought they were going. And I actually made notes about that. It's like, yeah, this seems a lot like a really grim version of The Martian. Yeah. Well, didn't and, didn't Danny Boyle do 128 hours or whatever? Yes, 120. The, 137 hours? Whatever. Some number of hours. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But that's also yeah. like a person versus nature yeah. film. Yeah. And I guess to a certain extent, uh, zombie movies fit a similar role, right? Like it doesn't do that at the end of uh, the movie we watched. Yeah. But it's still just like the zombies become part of the environment around you and you're just trying to survive mm-hmm. that. Um, so yeah, I think he might have some kind of interest in that. Although yeah. he's, he's gone in other directions as well with some dog and train spotting and things like that. Um, but yeah, it, it, so it's strange to me that when he has this both a future and a history with man versus environment movies that he would insert this, you know, nonsense sun monster. I bet I, I, I it's, it's just like a decision where they're like, we don't, we need something to like spice this up. And audiences like, want excitement. And what's more exciting than a zombie monster? Yeah, yeah. Or just that the expectation is like space movies are going to be like Alien. And uh, that's we, the one. I mean, because like do Alien again. Yeah, because and there is very clearly Alien inspiration here, not just in that sequence. Like yes. It, the the kind of rundown, you know, industrial look of the ship and, and that kind of thing is, comes from Alien and Star Wars. But it seems like there was a lot of 2001 in this movie, too. Yeah. I yeah oh, yeah, for sure. Like, that that feels like a more direct inspiration than, than anything else. Like, I, I think that they were taking from 2001. I, I think well, they were definitely trying to imply that <clears throat> something was off about the computer. Yes. Because some of the problems earlier on are triggered by the computer somewhat. Mm-hmm. Like, that's why the commander gets incinerated. Yeah. And it's also just, like, really pretty. Like... Yes. Like, yeah. the, yeah. the ship itself is, like, kind of gorgeous. And when they're out on the shield, it's, like... Oh, and when they first, like, leave in those, like, gold spacesuits, that's such an amazing, yeah. well, and, like, image. And those spacesuits are so 2001. Like, yeah. they're, they're, like, especially the helmet design is, like, so similar yeah. to what we saw from Kubrick um, that it, it feels intentional. Like, they, they must have been drawing yeah. inspiration from that movie. Yeah. And, I mean, that's a good place to to draw inspiration from. so more, Probably more, most more. sci-fi post-2001 draws some amount of inspiration. Yes, that is that is likely correct. I, I love to when things kind of like fall off the spaceship and you just watch it like track and then when yeah. it like gets out, uh, out <laughs> yeah. from the disc it's just like incinerated like no matter what there, object it is. There it goes. Like, the, so the power of like the energy that they're dealing with is like so insane. Yeah, so. and the design of the ship is so specific and 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 genuinely unique, right? Like there aren't many. Most of the times you see the design of a spaceship, it looks like something in Star Wars. It looks like a conventional rocket, you know, that we actually have. And yeah. this one is something else, like with the big, the shield, yeah, yeah, the big shield in front of it is just such a look. Everything's just hiding behind it, right? And you have this sense that like it's it, it is like the sun and the power of the sun generating everything, and man is tiny and hiding beneath it. Yeah, right, and like it, it plays into the thematics of the film well. Yeah, it seems pretty well thought out. It, it gives them room to generate gravity by spitting some stuff. Yeah. And yeah, the really uh, nice. issue or issue, uh, like, sci-fi explanation well, like, they, they do a good job of, like, keeping it normalized in, like, physics, yeah. and they don't come up with, like, absurd explanations for things. A good reference here, when, um, when he's, like, talking about the bomb, they kind of, like, avoid getting too deep into the details about like how the bomb would work and why it would restart the sun. Yeah, and yeah. so much yeah. so that they, there's even lines about like them not really being that sure it'll work at all. Yeah. Like, which is part of the motivation of like what are they going to get have the for sure one shot or take another shot at 
getting two shots, I said, shot too many times. In that yeah. <laughs> but, but, but part of the reason they want to go to the, the abandoned ship when they find it is that they'll have another opportunity to fire the rocket into the sun because they don't know if, it, if it's going to work or they don't know yeah. if they have enough firepower or whatever. Yeah. Um, so, and I think that provides an excuse for Garland to not write in a scientific explanation for like how this whole thing functions. Um, and that's fine. And I think it kind of plays into like the desperate, you know, grim tone that this movie uh, strikes. Yeah. Yeah. Although I did see some, uh, while I was doing my pre-movie research here, there was some blurb about how that might actually work. <laughs> Somebody, someone actually looked into it and mm -hmm. said that, yeah, if you fire enough, you know, nuclear power into the sun, it might. Oh, really? I read the opposite. Oh, really? They okay. were like, you could like launch the earth into the sun and like nothing would happen. Which makes more sense and yeah. would certainly be my instinct. the size of the mass is too small, right? right. To make sun, any difference. Sun's yeah. very big. Yeah. There yeah. was also an interesting physics question that I think I saw in Quora, which was like, if you had a bucket of water the size of the sun, could you just like put it out by like... <laughs> Jumping it out of the sun. <laughs> what was the answer? Um, so no, it would be so massive that it would just like collapse and create its own sun. <laughs> The water one? The water one, because there's so much like hydrogen in water okay. that it would just like start a new sun, essentially. <laughs> it would be so massive that it would like collapse on itself. Oh. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. You yeah. have a water sun, I guess, would it be blue? Well, it would just like ignite. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 I get it. Okay, well, that is not the answer I anticipated there. I yeah. did like the implication that the world finally managed to like join together because they said they, they took all of the fissile material that the Earth had found and put it together into the payload. Yeah. And there was none left, apparently. So it means that we all joined together to do this. Right. And, it's and something. They, they kind of get like this quasi-international crew together to do this thing. Um, you know, fine. Like, although there were no black crew members, right? No, it was no. all white. It's a generally a pretty diverse crew. It doesn't have any black people. It doesn't have any black yeah. people. But it is very diverse. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, there's white people and Asian people. Yeah. Uh, there's the Indian guy, too. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yes. Yeah. The one he likes the sun. He's the one that's yeah. the sun. Okay. Yeah, you're correct. Um, so, yeah, it does have that going forward, I guess. Um, but I think with a movie, really, when it's at its strongest, like and when, it's, when it's at its most tense and its most functional, is when they're like presented with a problem, they come up with a solution to the problem, and then like some new, much larger problem comes along. Yeah. And like it does that a few times, and like that's the strongest this movie is. Those those are the best moments. Again, why the Martian works so well. Right. Because yeah. they just keep like upping the ante. It's tense, yeah. it's fun. You you wonder how these smart people are gonna deal with it. It's it's great. Right. Which is yeah, that's exactly where it reminded me of the Martian. That is it, it becomes about competence, right? And it becomes it, I mean that's what the Martian's about. It's that it's about competence. What this movie is about is about how competent people can still make mistakes. Yeah. Right? Because they're like here's the, the best of the best and they're still just like the problem arises from just like one guy happening to forget one thing. Which is also like an interesting yeah. like psychological event to explore, I guess. Because yeah. the, the guy like, I mean, you see that problem cascade from his one mistake because his mistake is ultimately what caused all this to happen, right? And like, you know, it, it, obviously it's pretty hard to deal with. And it's, it's, it's interesting to see. Yeah, so I, I, I like that about the movie. And, and that it does like take that... You said it well, psychological event, seriously. Yeah. Right? Like that kind of defines the character from there on out, and of course it would. Yeah. Right? Like how could it not? Um, and so that was effective. Yeah. And, and there's good examples of like <clears throat> space 
technology going wrong because of like small mistakes. Like there is like a um, there, there's some we had like a couple mishaps like sending stuff to Mars in the last like couple decades. Yeah. Well, one of them was that they forgot to convert to metric. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> From the system. Yeah. <laughs> it caused like, it's like why, it was like another Mars probe or something. It, yeah. And it like bounced off a the atmosphere because the, oh. they forgot to convert. Yeah. <laughs> like, there it goes. That's yeah. That's the end of that thing. So, yeah, and that's just it. Like, the, you got to be pretty smart to work for NASA, right? They don't let just any asshole into the door there. And <laughs> they, there you go. Like, those smart people can still just make it. There's very, probably multiple people looking at that, right, too. Right. Just make a very human mistake, a very yeah. understandable mistake, but nonetheless, it doesn't make you feel like any less of a of a dumbass when it happens to you. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and that feels like a, a very relatable experience. Um, yeah. And, and I, I appreciated that about this movie. And, and all the more problematic for this film because then they just like step all over that with like, oh, and there's this like outside force. That... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Like that makes that not the central thing. Yeah. That, that's too bad. Um, also, and, oh no, go ahead. I was going to say that and then they, they again pull the punch when he commits, when he kills himself, because like they were debating whether or not, like they have only so many people that can survive, and here's this guy that's basically catatonic, right. and he committed this terrible mistake earlier in the movie. Like, does he therefore deserve to be one of the ones that's killed off? Maybe, maybe not. But the movie, like, yeah, and at that point, they they think that he was the one who like fucked up their airlock. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, they looked at everyone who was there, and he's the only one, right? They didn't anticipate a zombie a captain. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, much more interesting. Yeah. Than, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's, again, where it starts to to waver a little bit. Um, what do we think of the, the very end when, like, Chris Evans' character sacrifices himself and Cillian Murphy takes over to save everybody? I. Like, that seemed like pretty intense, like him like going down the coolant and yeah. right. So I guess what my real question is like, does yeah. that redeem the part right before that with the space captain monster? Like, were you able to like just look past that and get? I don't know if there's any seemed... redemption for that, but I could appreciate <laughs> you know what like, happened there. Yeah, that's what I'm asking. Like, did that still work? Like, did that sequence still work despite the bit right before it? I I I thought it was good. Like, it's very <laughs> okay. it's tense uh, and like it builds its tension well. Um, yeah, that that was well set up because they had the scene earlier in the movie where he drops his wrench into the coolant yeah. and picks it up again and is like really hurt from it. And now you see him like diving full body into it, and you're like, oh shit! Like, don't do that. But he has to. Yeah. Well, and, and the the Chris Evans character is one of the more clearly communicated characters mm-hmm. in the movie. So like, you can see him being a jerk the entire movie, right? Like, because he's just the one that is rude to everyone, ready to sacrifice people as soon as it's necessary, things like that. And then have him make this heroic sacrifice at the end and have it still be consistent with his character. Right? Yeah. Because the heroic sacrifice that is required of him is also what is necessary to, to save the mission. Yeah. And that's really what's been driving this, this guy the whole time. Yeah, so I can respect they, that. It's neat that they, they found this way. I mean, again, it's a broadly drawn, like pretty, you know, straightforward character, but they found a way to like find some different angles within that same yeah, broad drawing. And and here we are. Usually you see that kind of character and you expect them to you know, change their mind when when the responsibility is placed on them, right? But no, he just takes it head on and gives his life, like, without a second thought. He just dives right in, and I was very impressed by that. And it was interesting to see how his... 
Well, like you see earlier that he like volunteers Cillian Murphy's character to go out and fix the solar panels because he's semi-responsible, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and that's when the captain gets killed. And so you think that maybe he's got some sort of vendetta against Cillian Murphy's character because of the whole radio transmission thing from earlier. But then it turns out that's not the case at all. And really, he he was just thinking about the mission the whole time. And I, I really respect that kind of character writing. Yeah. Although, again, like I was thinking, I realize this is just a, a question about like how the, the movie needs to exist. <laughs> like if you ask this question, the movie stops existing. Yeah. But like, why didn't they screen for people just like Chris Evans? <laughs> right? Like, don't you want an entire cast of folks exactly like that? And like, nobody like Rose Byrne? Right. <laughs> what was yeah? What was she responsible for? I, I don't even remember. I think she was like communications, or no, she wasn't. She was like security or something. I don't know. I don't know. She was like she spent a lot of time at the computer, and yeah. she was like looking at at CCTV feeds. Sure. Um, so it, it wasn't crystal clear because like you could presume that for certain characters they needed certain types of specialists. Sure, I guess there's limited options. I yeah, guess. so like maybe Cillian Murphy's character is one of the few that knows the type of physics that's required for the payload or whatever. Just, remember, know. this is also the B team too. That's true. That's yep. a fair point. Yeah. <laughs> and they, they, well, the A team didn't fare so well. Yeah, they, they all went crazy. <laughs> no. um, but yeah, and it, it, this movie does feel like it wasted Rose Byrne, which is a shame because it turns out that she's actually a great actor and really funny. And this movie's yep. not funny at all. <laughs> it's not no, clear. What does she even do? You're right. It's not clear what she what she even does. Um, I guess that's a minor complaint because she is like a tertiary character here. Yeah. Yeah. The I thought you meant the very very end where they have this like kind of crazy geometry chase. Oh, You're, like uh, they like walk out onto the bomb and then the, like the captain is there. Yeah. That okay. Was well, weird. what do you think about that? Well. Uh, I, I mean, it doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I thought there was like one cool moment where they're like hanging over the edge and like uh, suddenly out of nowhere, his like arm skin like rips off. Yeah, that and was they, like, Fall down the. I, yeah, I forgot about that. But that was the, the end of the zombie character. Like that was yeah, dumb. And they set it up like something else is going to happen. And then nothing else happens. And then nothing else happens. And they just, like, set the bomb off. So, like, even, like, resolving the zombie character plot was, like, kind of half-assed. Yeah. 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 Because they didn't, like, have to defeat him or anything. He just falls apart. Yeah. I'm sure Alex Garland and Danny Boyle have been asked about this probably many times. And I'm sure that they've provided an answer. And I don't know what it is. Uh, But it feels like there's something, like, extraneous to the film. That would result in that, <laughs> and I I don't know what that could possibly be because it what, seems like a studio note. Like, right, but what uh, studio would note for this? Like, it seems, this seems like know. something that the studio would say, "Don't do this," <laughs> right? Like, well, who's fight it? him? I don't know. I, I, it, it's so baffling to me. Um, but yeah, I forgot about like when he's hanging up the arm and the arm like slowly tears off of the yeah. That was, it was really body. graphic. It was, it was like whoa, much more graphic than the rest of the movie. I think. Yeah, it was, it was surprising. It was yeah, like, damn, that seems like a, a lot. <laughs> that was like a Danny Boyle effects moment. Yeah, okay. Like, oh, you're like willing to go there. <laughs> yeah, and speaking of Danny Boyle moments, um, still a lot of Dutch angles. Oh my god, I, I started. <laughs> I started making a note of it. And stopped. Like I was tallying it up, and I stopped. And I was like, Lost "This count. is like every other fucking shot." Oh my god! By the by, the last third of this movie, like everything is just placed at this canted angle. And I'm like, "Man, you can't. You, you can do that like once in your movie. You need to pick a shot. Yeah, to do that. You can't do it like for every action sequence. Especially since, like, uh, you know, we know from Kubrick that like 
how beautiful 2001 is. Yeah. I mean, this movie is still like very attractive, but yeah, once the camera starts we going just, crazy, like, <laughs> level things out. Speaking like, of the camera go going crazy, ways. when the when the zombie commander shows up and they have this stupid filter over him every time he's on camera, like what is that? It's they're, so annoying. They're saving money, right? Like they spend all the money on the sun effects, and they just like can't <laughs> give you a good look at this stupid guy. No, I'm sure that's what it is, right? I mean, like, yeah, they, but they're they're kind of implying that there's some supernatural <laughs> thing at work because. They're implying he's got some sort of like weird like aura about him. But he does have some. I mean, there must be something supernatural going on, right? Because he get, like has super strength or something, and like he also survived on the ship for seven years while staring at the sun. Like, so there is something, you know, sure. happening that's without the not that does not have a natural explanation. Um, but again, like I don't know what it is, and the movie doesn't either. I don't think they make any. They don't endeavor to. Yeah. Answer that. Although one thing I thought was kind of fun was when they first show up on the Icarus One. Mm-hmm. You remember this? They had like the weird like flashes of the photo from the first mission. Yes. I have no idea what that was for, but I mean, I guess it it's to make you feel uneasy because it's it like kind of creepy, right? But it's a little out yeah. of nowhere, and it's not used like too much elsewhere in the film, so it's kind of out of nowhere. And the funny part about this was when that scene started, I blinked <laughs> right when the first <laughs> flash like happened. Yeah. So I opened my eyes again, and I'm like, am I hallucinating things now? And I started to freak out a little bit because I blinked at just the exact wrong time. Drive you crazy, too. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what they're going for, right? It's like, it's a it's a spooky kind of thing. You're, yeah. you're, well, it's a ghost ship, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a, yeah exactly. It's a yeah. ghost ship. I mean, who knows what's going to pop out, and like things things start popping out of the audience, too. So, like, I, I get the effect they're going for. It's, it's just a horror technique. Right? Yeah, I think it was a very effective way to put me... <clears throat> at greater unease. I mean, you're already nervous because you know the first mission, there's some they're ominous right. tones about it, but this like really ramped things up. So I thought it was pretty effective even though it was a little out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. I watched a movie um, the other week called High Life, which just came out uh, by um, Denis, that it's a new one with Robert Pattinson and uh, Julia Binoche. And it has it, it has a similar kind of setup that like folks are being sent into space. The difference here is that they're prisoners. And it's just oh. like, we don't want you on Earth anymore. We send you towards a black hole. See what's going to happen. And towards towards the end-ish, or like the last third of the movie, they they, they also encounter like an abandoned ship. And they're like, don't know what it is, but they've been stranded out here and they haven't had anybody to talk to and they need to need supplies. So they decide to dock with this ship. And the Robert Pattinson character goes on and it like set, it's set up similar where it's like, they're examining this ghost ship and it's dark and you have like this first person perspective. The ship is full of dogs. It's just, there's no explanation. There's like, there's just a bunch of dogs all over, and like, some of them are dead. They all look pretty bedraggled. None of them, like, attack them or are angry. And then they just get back on their ship and they fly away. Like, okay. <laughs> that's it. it. <laughs> and like, I thought the movie might do something like that, where it was just like, they look at the ship, they see there's nothing here, everybody's dead, and then they leave. <laughs> and that's yeah. that. Um, but they didn't. And instead, they did something else. But mm-hmm. I was watch- watching that movie uh, last weekend or two weekends ago. What reminded me of, of Sunshine here? Um, yeah, it was pretty striking. No monsters, fortunately. Yeah, yeah. I also thought it was really funny that they lampshaded the whole "let's split up" gang moment. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. the guy suggests that they should split up, and someone else is like, "Wait, that's a terrible idea." Which is exactly what everybody in the audience said, like at the <laughs> yes, exact same time yeah. as that character. Idiot. <laughs> and then they decide to do it anyway for some reason, which I don't remember. But well, they probably had a limited amount the ship of time. Is too large. 
right know, and they yeah, had which, a limited amount of time to explore it or something yeah and he was again that was, i think it was the chris evans character that suggested it and he was right like there he is mission first like you should split up it's yeah. a huge ship you have to look at the whole thing you think everybody's dead on it right like what are you afraid of <laughs> it's yeah. been sitting here for seven years right it, it was the reasonable correct decision yeah yeah um i liked the sequence right after that when they're trying to get back onto their ship and it just so happened that the big jerk that you just learned was a huge jerk is the one that dies. <laughs> that was kind of funny. <laughs> like, Eat it, jackass. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so that was a very, very convenient moment for this movie. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so that, that and they worked. like freeze and then they're like evaporated by the mm-hmm. sun. Yeah. Although that was another moment where we have the Chris Evans character making the mission first self sacrifice decision because he gives the the one spacesuit they have to Murphy, yeah. and yeah. he doesn't take any for himself when he certainly could have if he wanted to. Yeah. Um, yeah. So again, character consistency. It's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, we don't get that from Cillian Murphy, but well, because we don't have anything to really start with. Yeah. Cillian Murphy. Like, yeah. It's he's just so amorphously or non-designed, really. Yeah. Um, and that's uh, it's a pity because he is a good actor, and we know he can do it if. He has the material. Yeah, I remember he had a conversation with Rose Byrne about their mission and surviving and all that. I don't remember like what came of that conversation, like what they revealed about the characters. What happened there? Yeah, I think we learned that Rose Byrne like cares about people because she's the woman and women are maternal. Um, okay, yeah. <laughs> other than that, <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, that's probably nothing. If you can't remember, that's a problem. Um, I, I did like the very, very end where they kind of like throw the bomb and like time kind of like stops mm-hmm. for the silly yeah, that was cool. character because yeah. it's like I don't know the actual physics to it but I, I do know that there's like the interrelationship between like mass and time and gravity mm-hmm. and when you like mm-hmm. whack out one of those variables the others like get thrown off too you would think so mm-hmm. the notion that you'd be sort of like frozen in time while like this like gravity well like collapses is, is interesting. Yeah, and yeah. again, it creates it, it makes for a cool visual. Yeah, it's very cool because like yeah. the explosions like coming out at him, but then like freezes, but he's like moving in real time. Yeah, yeah, it was neat. Um, yeah. And I, I I appreciated like the happy ending in Sydney with like that was a funny twist. Yeah, like I like a, I like the way they revealed that. Yeah, that was neat. <laughs> well, they're like on the tundra, and then you see the, 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 the opera house. house. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you're like, like, wow, things are really bleak. <laughs> yeah, in, in Australia. Um, and then you see the sun rising. It's like, oh, the thing probably worked. And yeah, great. Like, yeah, that was good. Um, do we have any uh, parting thoughts on, on Sunshine? No, we haven't. I'm just sad at the missed opportunity. Yeah. I, mean, I, f- I feel like uh, I have been more down on this movie than I want to be. Like, it's good. It is, it yeah. is mostly a good movie. I mean, I'm very happy with the. Yeah two-thirds or three-quarters of a movie that we did get with that didn't have the zombie monster in it. Right. This feels like something that would be right for a fan edit. Like, is there a way to, like, extract yeah. that? Yeah. I mean, we were talking before about the Chris Evans sacrifice, right? And you could easily have gotten to that point without needing the zombie monster. And that would have been a great scene. Yeah. Yeah. And it, was, it still was here, but it, like, yeah, exactly. needed that other thing. Or the ships could have broken off on their own. Like, you don't... Any number of things. Yeah. yeah. So, so many options. Um, so, yeah, I still think this is largely a very good science fiction movie. Um, and it, it's held in high regard in, like, the science fiction cinema community. And I get why. It makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I like this film a lot. I, yeah. Um, it, I think the turn is, is bad, but 
I still think the movie is like very good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it captures its tone very well. Like he has very good control over the dark, bleak kind of like desperation mm-hmm. that is driving these people, right? And like that is just it, it's palpable in this movie in, in pretty much every scene. Um, and you know, it's that's not easy to do. Like to put it, to put together that kind of tone to stay consistent across a huge cast. Mm-hmm. You know, with like complicated moving parts narratively. Like that that's good work. Like that is that's good cinema. Yeah, it builds tension well. Yeah. The stories like doesn't just bog get like doesn't get bogged down in details. Mm-hmm. Those are all like good it's like enough good filmmaking yeah. choices. This is as much as you need to know. So yeah, overall it's a solid movie. Yep. Yeah. Which is how I feel about Danny Boyle in general, I think. Like he's just <laughs> yeah, he's solid. He's fine. solid. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not gonna I'm not gonna turn him away. Like it, it, he has some really good movies and some not so good movies, but most of them are solid. <laughs> yeah. Um, in any event, uh, we'll be back in a moment with, uh, with things we've seen. We'll see you then. And we're back with things we've seen. This is where we discuss other movies that we've watched recently that we haven't picked for the podcast. Uh, so, Crossman, what have you seen lately? I watched the sequel to Sicario, which is Sicario <laughs> Day of the Soldado. Uh, sure. How was it? It's a mess. <laughs> oh, man. Right. Uh, so, <clears throat> the movie makes a lot of poor choices. Okay, so, start with Sicario. <laughs> Great movie. Really likes Sicario. Yeah. Very dark. Um, had a bit of like a conservative ideology around the border, but it's sort of plays to like some of the horror elements of the movie that are like interesting. What's great about Sicario is there's sort of like this like hodgepodge of like psychopaths and Emily Blunt, mm-hmm. uh, who's sort of like thinks that she wants to like sort of like come up in this world, but then realizes that she's like a moral person and everyone around her is like a bunch of psychos. And yes. Therefore you can't be a cop. Sort yeah. of like threatened to kill her. <laughs> a few uh, times. Yeah, a few times. Um, great movie. Very intense. Uh, almost like a hor- like great horror movie. Great cinematography. Yeah. yeah. Shot beautifully. Um, Day of the Soldado is like um, sort of the, okay, so does away with the Emily Blunt character right. uh, to its death. she rightfully left. The scene. Yeah. 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 She she left the the industry. Um, So that leaves us with the uh, Josh Brolin character and the Benito del Toro character. Um, They they, they, they tie in the sort of like overarching like war on terror, um, which was kind of like hinted at in the first movie, but it's like really put on steroids in in this movie where there's like a, (laughs) it starts with a, um, a suicide bombing at what's basically a Walmart. Sure. And uh, the the implication is that, uh, you know... The not-too-distant future. That <laughs> Middle Eastern terrorists have come across the southern border okay. and uh, have been helped by the cartels to commit this act of, of terrorism. So we have to secure the border, build a wall. Yeah, okay. so the sort of like... The uh, restraints are taken off the Josh Brolin character, and he's allowed to sort of go to Somalia and basically like torture this like Somalian guy, and then go into Mexico and um, kidnap the daughter of a cartel lord, 
unclear what that was supposed to accomplish. The movie doesn't do a good job of explaining how that <laughs> plan is going to lead to anything. fixing the war on terror or, or anything else. Um, so they, they kidnap the daughter who's like kind of a brat, um, but then she becomes like a more likable character later in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, uh, so then it just like devolves into this mess of like, uh, Benicio del Toro's character is like backstabbed by Josh Brolin's character, but then they like come back together, and he's like shot in the face, but he like lives like, <laughs> inexplicably. Um, and then they like one of the character, Josh Brolin's character, like realizes that everything he's done is like wrong, and he just like instead of like killing the cartel daughter, he like saves her. Because like the state oh, department, realizes. well, the state department was like, "This is a mess. You just need to like execute everybody involved." So they like, they're fine with like Benicio del Toro's character like dying, and then uh, they're like going to execute the girl, but they don't. Um, okay. So it's this weird hodgepodge of like paranoid right wing uh, thinking around the border, and like how like terrorism and the drug war are like interconnected even though they're not and there's like no proven information in reality that this is the thing and they even kind of like wink to that in the movie where they're like very late in the film they're like oh yeah the suicide bombers turns out they had nothing to do with the cartels and then they had just like like moving on they like don't yeah. even come come back to that so it's like wait you just told us this whole thing was pointless why are we still like doing this um and that's not like the point of the movie like because i don't really understand what the point i mean the point of the movie seems to be sort of this like right-wing fantasy where you can just like invade mexico with like military guys and <laughs> uh like fix the problem by like attacking the cartels with like military guys which okay. is what the mexican army does anyways to like to little effect uh in mexico and doesn't bother to acknowledge that like prohibition is like the cause of all this right. uh and tying in the sort of like it, it, Middle Eastern terror, it seems to just be like super racist. Okay, um, yeah, because it sounds like the movie's kind of responding to that kind of thinking, based on your description of it. It's there's no critique, so it no, seems okay. to just be like, mm. oh yeah, this is good and cool, and like military right. guys are cool, and we should do like military stuff. I mean, like uh, seeing the the previews for the movie and the fact that it focused on Josh Brolin <clears throat> and Benicio del Toro's characters. Knowing what they were in the first movie, I just it was a, ringing alarm bells for me that it was going to attract the type of people who read the first movie wrong. You know? Yes, and it definitely engages with that in a bad way, where yeah. it seems to be like, yeah, awesome. yeah, this is cool. Like, let's, yeah, Emily Blunt's character sucks. She's a, she's a what? What a killjoy. Like, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it read like, like a uh, sort of conservative fantasy about what we should do on the border. Um, it turns out poorly, so it's like un then it's like unclear if it's supposed to be like a critique or yeah, that's why or I or, or, or I, it just doesn't resolve itself well, okay. which I think is another reason mm -hmm. why the movie's bad. Yeah, because this was not uh, Dennis Villeneuve, right? Like there was a different director. No, it's it's not Villeneuve, um, but the, there is I think it has the same writer. Like some of the original folks are like still involved okay uh, which is surprising because the first one seemed to be like oh yeah all this is fucked up and like we should not do this yeah and we yeah. should be on the like emily Blunt's character side and on the other hand maybe it's awesome yeah yeah <laughs> this one um to the point where there's a like I, so th there's like a minor uh 
character who's like a Mexican American kid, and he his uncle or cousin like kind of like pulls him into the cartel. Um, and because he, you know, knows both sides of the of the border, he's like mm-hmm. he's very effective. Um, he's he's embroiled in some of the events of the film um, around like Benicio del Toro's character, and there's kind of a like it's not post credits, but it's like the last scene in the film where del, del Toro sort of seemingly risen from the dead with like a giant scar on his face <laughs> finds this kid in a mall and is like. So you want to be a Sicario, and then it's like, <laughs> and then it's like, cut to like cool metal, like new metal music. Hey, I'm building the Suicide Squad. Yeah, yeah, it's basically that, and it's like, wow, I don't know what to, to think of this movie or take away from it, other than it's just like a really racist like fantasy around cool what is cool and. You know, yeah, I don't know. It's it's bad. It's a really bad movie. All right, I won't watch it. It was very disappointing because like the first movie is great. Yeah, it's very good. You know, it's it's brutal, but it's like interesting and very thought provoking. Okay, this one's just bad. (laughs) No, yeah, bummer. All right, Charles, do you want to go next or should I? Uh, sure. Uh, so lately, uh, City Cinemas has been doing a series of art documentary movies. Um, and being an art nerd, I thought I wanted to check these out. So the first one I saw was about Van Gogh, and the second one was about Caravaggio, and they have two more about um, Klimt and Monet. Um, and I think they're all, you know, they're, they're pretty pretty well put together. I think these are European documentaries that have been made within the last few years. Um, like they have sections where someone's speaking in Italian or German, they just have, they're just dubbed over. Um, so I'm not sure if these were originally in other languages and dubbed over, or if these are the actual movie and they're just talking to experts who, you know, don't speak English or something. Um, but, I mean, if you're into these artists, uh, or if you're into learning more about, you know, these very prominent artists, you know, these are these are pretty good movies. I wish I remembered the subtitles so I could give you, like, the actual title, but if you search for, like, Van Gogh documentary or something like that, it should come up. Um, but it was cool to get you know, a picture of their life and get some very close shots of their more prominent works. Because there's sections where they talk about the painting and you get, you know, really close-up shots, of course. And you see the texture of the paint and all that. It's really cool. Um, I guess what I would want more of is analysis of the paintings themselves rather than more of the biological or biographical (laughs) aspects of the artist's lives. But it, it was interesting to see them tie like what was going on in the artist's life with their their artwork, right? So like Van Gogh's art career, I didn't actually realize this at first, but his painting career was actually very short. It was within within like five or ten years at most before he ultimately, you know, killed himself. Uh, and so they tied what was going on in his life. So you know he had to deal with you know some psychological issues, right? You don't say. Uh, <laughs> and so you know, there, were, there were times where he like was really lonely and like he was left by his friend Gauguin and things like that and they tie it in with his evolving art style and you see how in certain parts it becomes a lot more fantastical and like the colors become more harsh and um, like you know how he, he paints with like the, the lines with his brush strokes and they became more intense at certain parts mm-hmm. uh, when you know he was under a lot more trauma. 
Um, so it was cool to kind of pair those together. Another part of Van Gogh's story that I wasn't too aware of was there was a, um, I think a German woman who like found his works and like brought them into greater popularity because she um, like collected them and created a museum for them. And so she had like a decent part in Van Gogh's like posthumous resurgence. Um, yeah, things like that. It's cool to see the paintings up close. Uh, Caravaggio also did a lot of great work. Um, a lot of great work with like emotions and like very dark scenes. So it, he, he did like uh, Judith beheading Holofernes um, and the head of Medusa on a shield. And so a lot of very disturbing work. And so they had some cool analysis about like his life. And he was like, you know, getting into trouble and he was on the run for a lot of his life um, and uh, had that tied in with like kind of the darkness in his art and things like that. It, it was pretty interesting stuff. Cool. Yeah, I didn't know they were doing this. So this is this is interesting. There's four of them? Yeah, so okay. the Klimt one, actually that's tomorrow. I'm going to miss it because something else is happening. <laughs> and then they're doing Monet in like a month. Okay, right um, on. How long are each of these? Are they like yeah, an, like hour, an hour, hour and a half. Okay. okay. You're pretty, pretty short documentaries, yeah. But they cover all the famous works and some less lesser known stuff um, and give you some background about the artist's life. It's pretty interesting stuff. Okay, right on. Put, keep it on the radar. My turn? I'm up. All right, so I saw a movie that I thought was a French movie, but is actually a French-Canadian movie. <laughs> <laughs> I was mistaken. Um, I, was, I noted during the movie, like, there's a lot of snow here. It's like, because they're in Montreal. Um, it's called Slut in a Good Way, <laughs> um, uh -huh. and it, I, I like it a lot. Um, so it's a, it's a teen rom-com, essentially. Um, about, it opens with a, a group of young high school girls, um, the lead character's boyfriend had just broken up with her because it turned out that he's gay um, and she was very upset about this um, so they decide to um, get drunk and then go to like a big box toy store like a Toys R Us equivalent in French Canada um, they note that many of the uh, boys there are there that work there are their age and good-looking so they apply for jobs <laughs> and get them <laughs> and the rest of the movie um, plays out as like this workplace comedy at this toy store right mm -hmm. this this giant toy store uh, so the girl who the lead character whose boyfriend broke up with her um, ends up uh, sleeping with nearly everybody in the store <laughs> and th this is played as like uh, played very light it's played as like a, a, a comedy the whole movie is played like a comedy um, and she eventually has to navigate the social blowback from that so it's kind of about like very obviously female sexuality and specifically female desire um, and how that is legitimate and how that is a, a good thing and that you can and that how young girls can engage in their desire and their sexual needs in a healthy way and that if that includes sleeping with a lot of people that's fine and if it includes not doing that that's fine too um, and it, it it's a you know a nice healthy message like that but it, it needs to be delivered and it's also just a, a funny movie like it the the humor translates well across the French that the characters are vibrant and well-defined and a pretty large cast because there's these three girls and then like the six or seven people that also work at this toy store. Um, and it it plays out well. So there's eventually like a, a Chirac moment where they decide to nobody's gonna have sex with anybody anymore. And like, <laughs> so there's like this boys versus girls dynamic for a little while. And then there's like the virginal girl ends up breaking that oath and that, 
you know, drama unfolds from there. Um, so I like it a lot. It's a really crisp 90 minutes. Um, it's a female director and a female writer whose uh, work I was not familiar with prior to this. Uh, Sophie Lorraine directed it, um, and Catherine Ledger um, wrote it. And if they do more work, and it looks like they have based on their IMDb page, I'll, I'll have to check it out. Um, but the movie's called... The director. Yeah, yeah that, that rang a bell for me too, but I didn't recognize anything. Uh, the movie's called uh, Slut in a Good Way. I saw it a few weeks ago, so I'm not sure if it's still around, but it'll probably be streaming pretty quick. It feels like one of those. Um, so check it out if you have a spare 90 minutes. It, it's a good, quick, fun watch. Um, so your pick is next, Rasman. What do we what do we got on the docket? Yeah, uh, I've never seen Smokey and the Bandit. Sweet. That feels like something that you would love. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. We'll find we'll out. Okay, Smokey and the Bandit it is. It's some Burt Reynolds and Sally Fields. Yeah. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, if you did, please comment, please share, please like, subscribe. Um, the more listeners, the better. Uh, it keeps us going and, it keep, and it, it's more rewarding for what we're doing and we enjoy doing it. Um, if you have any suggestions, we'd be glad to hear those as well. We're kind of still feeling out our new format here. Um, and join us next week for Smokey and the Bandit.